0: Today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com right now, enter the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll receive 20% off of your next order. It's Tuesday at the Lockdown Red Wings podcast, and we've got Jack from JFresh Hockey for a little talk about analytics. Where will the Red Wings finish in 2021? How much of a steal is that Anthony Manthe contract? And what impact will Thomas Grice replacing Jimmy Howard have in Detroit? It's all coming up next in a Tuesday edition of Lockdown Red Wings. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Tuesday, December 15th, 2020. Happy holidays, folks. The Christmas season is almost here. Hanukkah is already here. Uh, if you're celebrating Hanukkah this weekend, you know, happy holidays. I am your host, Detroit sports writer Noel Bianchi. I've got alongside Red Wings fan, Ethan Smith, alongside with me, but not right now. He's with me in our interview today because we've got Jack from JFresh Hockey. You know him, you love him. He's got those great player cards. It can kind of help break down uh, really a lot of the analytics that to me look like a completely foreign language. I wanted to have him on because I I think it's excellent the way, and he gets into this a little bit actually in the uh, interview, but he's not like a, he's not the math and analytics guy. He's the communicator of what these certain stats mean, because I think a big problem in the analytics community particularly with hockey I, I don't know how it is in other sports but i'm assuming it's pretty similar and hockey it's like i think if you it's very tough to get into analytics if you aren't a little bit already analytically inclined and i'm talking like the advanced metrics obviously like everybody knows points per game uh things like that but for me it's like i i always want to like really kind of get a full grasp of it, but it kind of feels to me like I'm reading a textbook and Jack does a really good job of kind of breaking it all down and making it very easily digestible. Even if somebody who, you know, doesn't have any knowledge or has a very baseline knowledge of these advanced metrics, they can kind of understand. And it really just puts things into context uh, that will help give an idea of how much a player is worth. Uh, So it was a great episode. I had a ton of fun doing it. Jack's awesome. I'm sure we'll have him back in the future. Uh, Before we do that, just want to tell you guys to follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Red Wings. Once January rolls around, I imagine we are going to go back to five days a week. And that is one of the best ways to make sure that you never miss an episode. but We've got great highlights, we've got throwback clips on there outside as well, lots of great discussions. It's like a little internet uh forum, if you will. So go check that out, but we won't take any more of your time. Let's get to the interview. Here he is, Jack from J Hockey.
1: This is uh, Bertuzzi looking at Setaguchi across the ice and "You're dead" seems to be what uh, he's mouthing.
0: All right, at this time, we now welcome on from Fresh hockey but not named jfresh it is jack the analytics wizard you can find his work on patreon he's popping off on twitter these days and he provides some great great services some great analytics the creator of the player card uh we're really excited to have you on jack how's it going today man
1: not too bad how are you
0: not bad at all uh so i i am admittedly uh an idiot when it comes to analytics i know next to nothing about them i know they matter but i failed statistics in college and i failed accounting twice so math is not my strong suit can you tell us a little bit more about your patreon and and what you do specifically
1: sure well i'll tell you first and foremost i I think that i am a lot closer to you in terms of math ability than than i am to a lot of the modelers that are usually (laughs) talking about analytics Uh, and, and my high school report card would bear that out Uh, I I am more kind of in the area of instead of building models myself, uh, I I kind of am more in the communications area. So I am focused, like you said, on my Patreon. A lot of the stuff that's on there is kind of visualizations uh, and, and kind of things that maybe communicate some complex data in a way where it does kind of resonate and make a little bit more sense for just your average hockey fan, like somebody who comes to hockey analytics by way of the hockey, as opposed to the uh, the math or statistics part. So, just kind of trying to bridge that gap a little bit and, and make some of these more complex uh, uh, concepts just a little bit more connected to what you might see on the ice. Uh, and then, uh, in in terms of writing, I, I've been doing quite a bit of that lately, and most of that is focused on, you know, the same kind of thing—really, kind of bridging the gap between what you see on the ice or how you might understand hockey to work uh, and the analytics that exist. And and there's a lot of stuff out there in the public that I think a lot of people might not even be aware of that uh, really can kind of tell a complete story about a player or a team that you wouldn't necessarily get just by focusing on the numbers alone or, or just by watching the games yourself. So that's kind of the area that I try to focus on.
0: Well, the communication part of it is, I mean, ultimately just as important as the like math and, and statistical part of it all, because I think that's one thing that deters a lot of people from uh, using these advanced statistics and metrics is the fact that they want to learn about them, but they go to the, you know, they go to the web pages or whatever, wherever they go to try and learn about it. And it's it's very it's presented in a very rigorously learned academic way, I guess, would be the way I, I would describe it.
1: Sure. and I, I mean, the people who make the models themselves tend to be academics in that sense. I mean, Michael McCurdy, who's kind of maybe the most prominent public hawk analyst out there right now. I mean, he literally is a math professor at uh, St. Mary's University, which also just so happens to be uh, in Halifax as well. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the evolving wild twins, uh, they also have a hard stats background, they like, you can read kind of their breakdowns. And like you said, they're very rigorous, have a very kind of peer reviewed feel to them, which if that's where you're coming from, and I mean, they do incredible work because of that background. But if you're trying to just figure out kind of maybe how winds above replacement works or how that really connects to what you're seeing on the ice, that might not necessarily come through. And, and I think that's where, you know, like I said before, me coming more from the hockey fan perspective than the hard stats perspective. I will say I didn't fail stats in college, but I also didn't <laughs> blow anybody away either. Uh, you know, I, I feel like maybe that's that's kind of an area that I didn't kind of set out to fill in, but it just kind of organically happened where people were kind of taking a little bit note of what I was doing and kind of as I was learning both sides of the game a little bit more, even just over the course of this year, I think uh, it's something that has, has kind of, led to some interesting things.
0: Now, Jack, I hope you don't mind if we take a quick pause, because this conversation is making me a little hungry. So what I think I'm going to do is reach for the best tasting protein bar ever. That's right, folks. I'm talking Bilt Bar. It's improved. It's even more delicious than ever before. They've got six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and Apple Almond Crisp. All of them, of course, are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and they're easy to chew. And that includes the 12 original flavors, which I won't even bother going into right now, but they are all delicious. Half of them got nuts. Half of them don't got nuts. So whether you're a nut lover or a nut allergic person, this bar is for you. And especially if you're a health conscious guy looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Now, when I'm trying to get in shape, I'm somebody who is constantly on the lookouts for ways that I can, you know, kind of get my fix. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a chronic snacker. I'm a late night overeater. It is what it is. But Bilt Bar has helped keep me going through the day strong, not only getting that fix, but also not making me hungry once 11, 12 o'clock rolls around. I'm usually going downstairs, starting to dig through the freezer, see what I can whip up. It's usually fatty. It's usually got a lot of carbs. It is not good for me. But thanks to the Built Bar, I've been able to stay full all night long and, you know, just kind of be like a regular person. It's kind of nice. Uh, go to builtbar.com right now and use promo code LOCKDOWN. You'll get 20% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKDOWN for 20% off at BiltBar.com. All right, back here for segment two. But before we go on with Jack from J Fresh Hockey, I do got to remind you guys to press that subscribe button because tomorrow we're going to have part two coming. It's going to be just as riveting. It's going to be just as fun. There's going to be lots of laughs. There's going to be lots of tears. We've got it all. So be sure to go check that out. And the only way that you can make sure that it's ready first thing in the morning is by pressing that subscribe button. All right, let's get back to the interview.
1: McCarty draws. McCarty in. McCarty!
0: Now, uh, we do want to get into some of the bigger picture stuff. Obviously, we do want to talk about the Red Wings. We also want to talk about the fact that the they're not projected to finish in last place in the league, according to uh, the models that you put out there. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, but we will start with some small picture stuff, or we'll start with some something kind of bigger picture, uh, because I wanted to get your thoughts on the Anthony Mantha contract. He signs for four years. 5.7 mil, but based on his uh, metrics, you think that he is an 8.5 million dollar player. Can you go into that just a little bit, and, and what kind of discount the Red Wings got with this guy?
1: Yeah, so uh, so I mean, first things first, that that kind of that 8.5 million number that you're talking about, that kind of thing really comes from. Uh, it's really just kind of a direct parallel with a with a three year kind of wins above replacement projection. Uh, matched up to kind of the amount of money that teams tend to pay for wins. So it really is kind of more of like a general vibe than kind of a strict prediction. Uh, but yeah, I, I, Manta's great. Manta is, is I, I think, I would say the best player on the Red Wings. I don't know if that's a, a an unpopular opinion among Wings fans themselves, but just just from my perspective, kind of what, I don't he, think brings, so. what he brings in terms of scoring, in terms of offense driving. And, you know, again, I, uh, this is kind of an area where I don't feel like I could break down it in too much detail because I'm just not a Red Wings fan and don't watch their games with enough frequency. But his defensive numbers, at least, are excellent, uh, which is not something that uh, is particularly common on the Detroit Red Wings. And <laughs> when you have a winger who's kind of contributing to kind of overall tilting the ice in, in your team's direction to that extent, and he can also score at a good rate. And he's also a solid passer and kind of does all that other stuff. Like that's a guy that you lock up. And uh, it's usually a guy that you lock up at a much higher price than they got Matt before. So I think that's just a, an unmitigated W for, uh, for the Red Wings management at a time that they really needed one.
0: Well, obviously uh, this offseason, you kind of saw a, a lot of players take a little bit, of a discount. Was that kind of what you saw across the board in the NHL? The Red Wings, they they signed quite a pretty good amount of fair, good value signings for the team. Uh, but I'm curious to know kind of how it all shook out amongst the rest of the league and, and where that kind of trended.
1: Yeah, I think generally, uh, and I, I'm not a person who's kind of put together a model like this, but there are people who put together like contract predictions that are based on a variety of inputs. Uh, and those tended to be still pretty accurate this year. There were a couple of players who obviously took shorter term deals than they normally would have because of present circumstances. But I think the biggest thing is that guys on that kind of bottom end of the league who could be considered depth players really got kind of pushed out from a price perspective just because of the flat cap and, and all these big contracts had been signed with the expectation that the cap would be going up. And so kind of the squeeze was really hitting. And so your guys, you know, like your, your Troy Stetchers or your John Merrills or, or guys like that really just weren't in a position where they were able to get the contracts that they deserved. And there were teams that were smart enough to take advantage of that, and uh, we can talk about it later, but I think the Red Wings were definitely one of them. Another guy who I was surprised to see with a high war value was Philip Uh He hasn't really played with the Red Wings a ton uh, up to now, uh, but he has the really tough situation of being drafted right uh, before Quinn Hughes. Uh, like, What do you think about Zadina's game and what the metrics say about it? Yeah. So f- from what I can recall, uh, Zadina, I think, had some pretty good numbers this year. Like you said, it was a small sample. So in this, in these cases, it's the kind of thing that you maybe take with a bit of a grain of salt, especially because, you know, if, if you're Zedina, uh, you know, with the numbers that go into war, sometimes if you, Hop in in a small sample and play on a team that's really really bad. That might actually bump your numbers up. Like if he's being put on a line that that maybe has players on it who have been struggling a bit in other situations. That that might bump him up a little bit. So, but I I would say that from my limited knowledge of Zadina, I don't really see anything to worry about too much. And I think the Red Wings can still count on him to. Uh, I mean they have the flexibility now with mantle locked up that they all they really need is, is for him to be a good second line right wing. And I don't think there's any reason to believe he's not on track to be, uh, to be one of those.
0: When it comes to the power play, like how are those metrics kind of measured differently than even strength? Is it more weighted towards shots on goal and like high percentage shot opportunities or, or kind of how does that work?
1: Yeah, so special teams is kind of a tricky one, and and it's one that I kind of tend to shy away from a bit. Or when there are players who are kind of middling at even strength and their power play numbers are really really up there, that is something that I that I will tend to kind of red flag as something that might be inflating things. Uh, so, at least in, in the evolving wild model, which is what the player cards are based on, uh, power plays are kind of tracked the same general way as uh, as even strength is. Uh, in terms of the fact that it's it's measuring kind of exclusively how a player drives goals when they're on the ice. So it uses kind of fancy math, like regressions to pick out a player's individual impact on his team scoring goals, you know, adjusting for his teammates and his competition and situation and zone starts and stuff like that. So in a smaller sample like where you have a power play, and when especially with the power play, you're so frequently playing with the same guys that, there are some difficulties in terms of picking out who's doing what. Those kind of metrics do tend to vary a little bit more. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily as confident in, in them, but I mean, when you're talking about a guy like, like Zidiana, for example, you know, I think there's pretty good reason to believe that he's set to be a pretty good power play player. And I think you saw that as a case for a lot of guys who were kind of new to the NHL uh, this year, like even your Capo and and Jack Hughes, guys who really struggle at even strength, you know, if you have a lot of offensive talent, you're going to do well on the power play because all those issues about not having space and having to face off against NHL defenders who are closing out on you, those issues really aren't as present on the power play. So I think that good power play numbers are kind of a decent sign that a guy kind of has the goods and just has to fully get used to playing against NHL defensively
0: All right. Well, that's uh, that's pretty good news. What are some statistics that don't matter, but people think that they do?
1: Oh, man. I mean, in terms of stuff that just that straight up doesn't matter. I mean, I think people should take things like uh, takeaways and giveaways with a, with a grain of salt, just because like that is something that is just purely subjectively tracked. Like you go from arena to arena to arena. And uh, I mean, you're going to see so many turnovers every game that don't get tracked. An example of that actually returning to Kako was I I recently kind of did this big breakdown into Kako's season and one of the big issues that i found with him was that he just turned over the puck constantly and then i went into his giveaway numbers and it, he only had 17 giveaways credited to him the entire season oh, and i was thinking hold on i just watched like two games of his and i'm pretty sure he had like 17 giveaways in the two games that i watched there's no way that this happened so i would kind of track where i thought giveaways were happening and uh yeah they just didn't line up at all with what was actually going on so I think you can pretty much throw out giveaways as anything of any value whatsoever. Uh, And then you have stuff like plus minus where, you know, there's just so much broken with how that stat is tracked when you uh, include things like being on the ice for a shorthanded goal against, being on the ice for an empty net goal against. I think it really kind of penalizes guys who play in those kind of high offense situations in a way that you kind of just think, why don't they just fix this stat? Like why don't they just get rid of that as being a minus, but they're not going to do it. And then, you know, there's stuff like you can talk about kind of points and secondary assists and time on ice per game and stuff that kind of gets misused a little bit, but I think all of that has value in certain uh, circumstances and shouldn't be totally thrown out. Uh, But yeah, those two earlier ones are definitely ones where I tend to just cast them off entirely when I'm, I'm thinking about a player.
0: Well, the reason I asked that was because I've I recently heard uh, something about secondary assists and and how we kind of need to start paying better attention to how many assists or points are made up of those secondary assists. Why don't they paint an accurate picture of how effective a player is on the ice?
1: Well, I think when it really comes down to it, you know, like everybody can think of circumstances where the secondary assister did a lot of the work, but you know, if you think of it in terms of most people will use points as the measure of how a player performed offensively. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not it should be is kind of besides the point. The fact of the matter is that points are kind of the main unit in hockey when it comes to measuring a player's offense. And they're weighted equally in terms of goal, the person who put the bug in the net, the person who passed it to him or shot it on net and a rebound came out or put it into an area and it went off a defender's skate and then it went to a guy. And then the secondary assist just kind of adds extra noise into that. And so that's kind of been one of the longest standing analytical things is kind of looking at repeatability of of that kind of thing and and how often the secondary assist will really tell you about how much work a person did on a play. And uh, it really is just kind of less repeatable and less valuable than your primary assist or especially your goal. So, you know, it really is kind of one of those things where, for instance, when I'm putting together something, and I will use points because I do think that they do tell an important part of the story, uh, I will kind of mainly focus on using uh, goals and primary as the main storyteller. And I think that will generally cut through the noise pretty well. Interesting. I got a question about Thomas Grice. His stats and you know, his consistent play on uh, Long Island has Red Wings fans Really excited about having a pretty strong 1A 1B combo in net. How do you think he'll fare on a Red Wings roster that isn't anywhere near as defensive first as the Islanders? Yeah. So, so I'm not as much of a goalie guy. I, I think presumably none of us are huge goalie guys. There's just so much stuff <laughs> going on with that position. And, and hey, this I, is a goalie I, I friendly the,
0: podcast.
1: Yeah. I've, I've said in the <laughs> past, you know, and, and I've, I've written, uh, uh, extensively that, that, the fact that goaltending really just isn't predictable in any way. It is it is the wild card uh, <laughs> gum in the gears in hockey where you can put together just a beautiful team and a goalie will just completely ruin your life by beating you or your goalie being terrible. Uh, you know, you kind of do what you can to to get a gauge of how good a goalie is. And, and you're right, Gryce has been good in Long Island by, and, and in terms of stats, that kind of measure how a player fares compared to what they would be expected to do based on the quality. So in theory, that should kind of adjust for how much easier the chances he faces in, uh, on the Island were compared to what he might face in Detroit, but there are always going to be factors, whether it's goalie coaching, or, you know, there might be certain passes or things that will be happening that weren't necessarily being tracked by, uh, by uh, expected goals, models and stuff like that. You know, I, I, The safest thing that I can say in the entire world is he's not going to be as bad as Jimmy Howard was (laughs) last year, but I mean, there's a good chance that if you pick one of our names out of a hat, we're not going to be as bad as Jimmy Howard was last year. So that may not be a super high bar to clear, but you know, in terms of getting a guy as a one D, I mean, you know, Thomas Christ was, was a very good candidate on the list. and, And I think that he was a pretty good guy to target. The real fact of the matter will be just making sure that he has everything put in place around him. Uh, that he needs to be better and, and that includes a better defense than the Red Wings had last year and once again that's something that we can that we can get into if you want to talk about that
0: yeah absolutely I'd, I would love to talk about uh the Red Wings defensive situation because they did add a, a, a quite a bit of names and they shed a like dead weight like Jonathan Erickson uh Trevor Daly uh I mean Mike Green was in and out hurt but like Erickson and Daly they weren't really on the ice that much. And when they were, it was pretty brutal. Uh, What do you think about the pieces that, that they added
1: back there this season? I'm a big fan. Uh, uh, Like you said, the thing the Red Wings had to do was not bring back, you know, any of Daly or Erickson or Madison Bowie or, or any of just the like massively sub replacement level, you know, like just not NHL caliber players that they had on the roster last year. And I think that's, that's a big reason why I have them ahead of Ottawa, is that, you know, all the Red Wings basically had to do this summer was replace some not NHL caliber players with NHL caliber players, and they would be much improved, Uh, and and they did that. And the blue line is the perfect example where if you were kind of talking to an analytics guy, which I guess you are, uh, before free agency, and you said, who are some really cheap, solid, like, bargain bin defensive pickups that you could get? Two of them, first names that I would say would be Troy Stetcher and uh, John Merrill. Uh, Stetcher on a pretty crummy uh, Vancouver Canucks defense uh, has been a perfectly solid number four, number five, right-handed defenseman. uh, Okay at both ends of the ice, not going to blow your mind, but also definitely not going to hurt you. And uh, John Merrill has uh, fantastic defensive numbers in terms of shot suppression and scoring chance suppression uh, in Vegas in the past couple of years. And... And he also came at a, at, at a pretty nice price compa- considering that. So if you can send those two guys who are competent defensemen in for guys who just absolutely should not have been in the NHL at all, you've already made up a massive amount of ground. And and I, I think the, the Red Wings, even if they're still kind of in that low, low tier in the NHL, like they did the work to make sure that they're not going to completely embarrass themselves again.
0: Yeah, which is all we want, to be quite honest with you. Like, last season was so – I mean, it was as bad as it sounded. But it was also one of those things that became a parody of itself at times. Like, there were – there's, like, having a bad day and then there's, like – Waking up to find out somebody broke into your house and then uh, they took all their breakfast with them and then they also took your car key so you couldn't go to work so you had to walk to work and then it started raining and then, you know, just like the list goes on and then that continues all the way until midnight. That was the season that the 1920 Red Wings kind of had was just one disastrous performance after another.
1: Yeah, and I think that's worth keeping in mind too, you know, even kind of putting all of these new additions aside, like the Red Wings were spectacularly unlucky last year in terms of on ice percentages. Uh, like we said, kind of Jimmy Howard couldn't stop a beach ball. Uh, you know, th- their guys just weren't scoring goals, like they they were shooting at a way lower rate than you would have expected. I mean, they were their underlying numbers were still some of the worst in the league, but it kind of compounded with just this hideous bad luck to turn into this nightmare season kind of in the way that that Colorado season did a couple years ago. Yeah. So even if they hadn't changed anything, the odds are that they would be a little bit better this year and and maybe even, you know, still the worst team in the league, but just not by a landslide. Uh, But but they didn't do that. They actually got rid of some of the worst players and then brought in guys who have a record of confidence behind them. So I, I think they basically, they did what they needed and threaded the needle in a way that they're not Kind of a risk of falling out of the lottery but they're also not going to like ruin dylan larkin's life for another year <laughs> and i think that was the most important thing they needed to do larkin now larkin into the devil's zone going wide with it
0: lovejoy force in there in front of the All right, that is where we will stop it for today. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned in. Tomorrow we got Jay Fresh back. Actually, he said he doesn't like it when people call him Jay Fresh. Evidently, that's not his name. It's just the name of his website. So you learn something new every day. Um, be sure to go follow him on Twitter. He's got a great Twitter feed. He's always tweeting out good information, and he's pretty funny on there. Uh, he'll also be back for part two tomorrow, where we talk about the end, the the season projections, the Detroit Red Wings. Spoiler alert, they're not going to finish last, folks, at least according uh, to the model that Jack put out there. So tune back in and you'll hear his thoughts on why he doesn't think that's going to happen. Uh, and, of course, do not miss a big hockey story because it is coming back, folks, and you need to start your week off with Locked On NHL. Every Monday, Locked On Kings host Sarah Evampado interviews local experts covering the biggest stories in hockey, get reactions to blockbuster trades, Deep dives on the team destined to be at the top of the standings and analysis of hockey's hottest stars. Subscribe to Locked On NHL wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you back here tomorrow, same time, same place. It's your team every day. You're Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings.